I understand there's uh, at least one person who has a question from last week. Wayne? Well, this wasn't from last week. Oh, uh, whatever. Okay, this is, uh, I'm just, I guess, I never realized how much the Jews were persecuted. And, you know, obviously World War II, I, I'm aware of that. But, I mean, even today, they're still persecuted in a sense. And, and I just wonder, why are they hated so? Why, why do they do that? The They've been persecuted since uh, before Jesus came, even. And um, there's a lot of potential answers to that. But the real thing is that the Messiah had to come from the Jewish people. That was prophesied all throughout the Old Testament. And so Satan thought if he could persecute them, if he could kill them off, then Messiah would never come. And his goal has been to eliminate the Jews to keep Messiah from coming until Jesus came. Then his goal was to kill Jesus, but he didn't know that he was playing right into God's plan. So what Satan thought was his greatest victory was actually his worst defeat. And after Jesus was put in the tomb and the stone was rolled over the entrance, he went down into hell. Well, first he went to Abraham's bosom or paradise and preached the gospel to all the righteous people there. And those who accepted him, which was everybody, went to heaven at that time. Then he went to hell and took back the keys of, of the death and the grave from Satan. So until that time, death and the grave was controlled by the power of darkness. But now Jesus has the keys to death and the grave. The significance of that, I have been taught, and I believe, is that even if someone hasn't been born again, when they die, if someone in their family, like you all, have been praying for them, and then Jesus comes and at the moment of death says, Do you want me now? Will you, will, will you accept me now? And if they say yes, he receives them to heaven right away. If they say, No, get that light away from me, then they're condemning themselves. Just like he said in John 3, those who, re- who come to the light are have eternal life, but those who don't come to the light reject them or condemn themselves because light came into the world and they chose darkness over light because their deeds were evil. So he has the key to death and the grave, and he can use it for the benefit of those. It's not God's wish that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. So the reason Jews have been persecuted throughout history is because Satan knew Messiah was going to come from them and that they would do great things. And he didn't, he wanted to put an end to that. Any other questions? Can I add to that? Yes. I I heard a teaching that, as you said, they wanted to get rid of the Jewish people. Pharaoh was the first one to come after the, the children, which was where Moses came out of the lineages when he tried to kill all the children of the Jews then. 
And then after Jesus was born, then you had the dictator at that time try to kill, kill all the children under two at that time. So those are two efforts of the yeah. devil. We, I recruit. taught about this in a previous class. Everyone should have heard that. Yeah, I understand. Okay, Catherine, would you please open in prayer this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you, and um, we just pray over um, every single person here today, and we just pray that your um, that, that your kingdom understanding knowledge and revelation come forth as Bruce teaches and we understand and I lift up everybody in the classroom I lift up this day in Jesus' name I lift up this day and I call you blessed especially after this class and I and I um, and I speak forth today that um, Lord Heavenly Father God that you will do more than we could ever think or ask, according to Ephesians 3.20. And I declare, decree, and proclaim that you are a good God. And we all eagerly look forward to your goodness today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. So as I indicated, I'm going to move into some biblical timelines that I believe are relevant to our time now. Things that happened thousands, hundreds and thousands of years ago, how can they still be, how can they be relevant to us today? And I think I'm going to be able to show you that. The first scripture that I want to look at is in Exodus chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8, verses 20 through 23. The Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Then say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people, and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. In order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land, I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. Hallelujah. Now go to Exodus 9, the very next chapter, verses 1 through 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go on to, tell, to Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, 
on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Then the Lord God appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died, but of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. The Lord will differentiate between those who are his and those who are in the world. Born-again believers are his. People who've given their heart to him and invited him in, they're his. People in the world who have rejected Jesus until now, they're the equivalent of the Egyptians in these scriptures that we've read. Mm -hmm. Now, the livestock represent the food supply. Haven't we been warned that our food supply is dwindling and the price of this has gone up and the price of that has gone up? But we're not to be in fear about that because the Lord's going to differentiate between the people who are His and the people that are in the world. Yes. We'll have provision when other people lack. Thank you, Lord. You can count on it because it's part of God's Word. There's a spiritual Goshen that's going to be available to all who are gods. It doesn't have to be a place on the surface of the earth. It's a place in your heart. Yes. And spiritual Goshen is for us now, just as Goshen, the land of Goshen in Egypt, was spared all the plagues. Notice that God did not remove the Israelites from Egypt. He protected them while they were still there. That's good. Yeah. I'll talk more about that in a few minutes. A couple more scriptures. Nine verses, Exodus 9, verses 25 and 26. The plague of hail. It says, The hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. And then in chapter 11, Exodus chapter 11, verses 4 through 7. Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt, such as not was like it before, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. Praise God. Now, in order to escape this last plague, there was something the Israelites had to do. There was a very specific instruction. Take a lamb without spot or blemish, could be either from the sheep or the goats, 
bring it into your household for four days, and on the fourth day, kill the lamb, drain the blood into the basin, take hyssop, put the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel of your home, and the angel of death will pass over your house, and no one in your home will be killed. I think that to be in spiritual Goshen in the things that are coming, we need to be attentive to what the Lord is going to ask us to do. In order to in order to um, be part of what he's planning, there might be something we need to do. I'm not saying I know what that is. I'm just saying there's a parallel between what happened to the Israelites in Egypt during the plagues and what's happening in our world right now. And if you if you don't see it yet, I'm going to go on and we're going to demonstrate it a little bit more in some other places from Scripture. But spiritual Goshen is real. I started talking about this more than 10 years ago. I was preaching about spiritual Goshen for the people of God. And now all of a sudden it's more relevant and popular than ever. And other people, lots of people are talking about it. And um, I wanted to share that part with you. Now let's go to Psalm 1. We're talking about the Lord differentiating between those who are His and those who are in the world. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law or the word of the Lord, and in his law or word he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that springs forth its fruit in its season, whose leaves also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Again, the theme of this is that the Lord is going to differentiate between those who are His and those who are in the world, and it's going to come by means of what I call spiritual Goshen. Psalm 91, a very familiar psalm that we've all taken part in praying about since COVID and all this other stuff. I'm going to start in verse 3. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in the darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked, Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. But these are promises from the Lord our God, and they're not to be taken lightly. 
turn now to Zephaniah chapter 2 and verse 3. Zephaniah chapter 2 verse 3. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. That's a good thing. All these things are talking about spiritual Goshen. doesn't say you have to go somewhere to be sheltered, hidden, protected, or saved. It just means you have to believe. You know, Bruce, when, when, my, when I was a kid, I remember my mom saying when she had something happen that blessed her, she'd say, land to go. Yeah, <laughs> that was a common saying back then. <laughs> I never knew what it meant until today. <laughs> And the last one in this grouping is Malachi 3, verses 16 through 18. Malachi 3, 16 through 18. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts is the name of God who's the commander of the armies of heaven. In case you didn't understand that. On the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him, then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. So, the Lord is going to differentiate between those who are His and those who are in the world. And as long as you are secure in your knowledge that you are His, you do not need to fear anything that might happen in the world. The Lord is promising to protect you. How are we doing so far? Awesome. <laughs> Okay, now let's go to Numbers, back to the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 13. Numbers 13, verses 1 through 3. Numbers 13, 1 through 3. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying... Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now move ahead to verse 25 of that same chapter. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told Moses and said, We went to the land where you sent us, 
It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Did any of you ever see a picture of the these men with the huge branch across their shoulders and one bunch of grapes reaching all the way down to the ground? Yeah. Nevertheless, verse 28, the people who dwell on the land are strong, the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, meaning giants. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Yes. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Remember that everyone who was sent was a leader among his tribe. Moses was instructed to choose men who were leaders. They had seen God part the Red Sea. They had seen God drown Pharaoh and his armies and their horses and their chariots. They had seen bitter water made sweet. They had seen pillars of fire to guide them at night and a cloud to protect them from the vicious desert heat during the daytime. They had seen water come out of a rock and manna from heaven. And none of their clothes wore out. And none of their newborns died. Everyone was fruitful. And their numbers had increased while they were wandering in the wilderness. And yet, when they came here, they they were so scared of what they saw that they said, but what about this and what about that and what about this and what about that? Only Caleb and Joshua said, if the Lord is with us, they will be bread for us. We can surely overcome them. Let's go in and take the land right now. Chapter 14, verse 6. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes And they spoke to all the congregation of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Skip ahead to verse 18 of Numbers 14. The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, said Moses, according to the greatness of your mercy. 
just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Numbers 14, verse 21. But truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and I have, and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he was of a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. Thank you, Lord. Verse 26. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones, whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. According to the number of days in which you spied out the land, forty days for each day, you shall bear your guilt one year, namely forty years, and you shall know my rejection." There's consequences for not trusting the yeah. Lord's yeah. script on things. Right. And so you might be thinking to yourself, how does this relate to us, Rabbi Bruce? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk a little bit about end times now. Okay? I know I did a class my take on end times, but this is this is different. There's currently there's a uh, belief system called futurism. Futurism. Does everybody know what that is, or does anybody know what that is? Well, in futurism, the belief is that all the bad stuff listed, listed in the Book of Revelations and in Matthew 24 is still going to happen in the future. It hasn't, it hasn't happened yet. And there's going to be, uh, and, and God, the earth is going to descend into worse and worse and worse darkness until the Antichrist and his team take over the world with one world government, one world order, and all those horrible things are going to happen. And then Jesus will come and rescue his church. That's the futurist, futurist belief system. There's another belief system called preterism. Does anybody know what preterism is? How do you spell 
that preterism is a belief system that says that all the things described in Matthew 24 and 23 and, and partially in Matthew 25 and all the bad judgments, bowls, trumpets, all those things in Revelation have already happened. They're historical facts. They were proven. People in the at the time of uh, the first and second century, historians like Josephus wrote about how all those things were totally fulfilled mm-hmm. back then. They're not going to happen to us. In the preterist view, I'm going to read the scriptures that describe what preterists and, and partial preterists believe right now. But the people who believe in the futuristic um, explanation of revelation are like the spies who went into the land and gave a bad report. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Right. And the people who believe the truth from Scripture. I'm not telling you to believe me. Just believe the Scriptures I'm going to read and make your own conclusion about this, and we'll see where we are at the end of these Scriptures, okay? Mm-hmm. So here we go. The first one is Numbers 14.21, which I just read. Truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Now secondly, that I have to say this. The book of Revelation is a description of a vision that the Apostle John had when he was in exile at the, on the island of Patmos. The only true prophetic book of the Bible that's had all of its prophecies that have happened already been fulfilled perfectly is the book of Daniel. <coughs> Daniel had a vision of four kingdoms, and all those kingdoms happened in exactly in the order that he said they would happen. Daniel had a, an explanation of when things were going to happen in the future, including when the Messiah would come. And his numbers came out to exactly the time that Jesus appeared. And Daniel also had a numerical prophecy that amounted to 42 months or three and a half years that people with this future mentality have taken to mean the, the, the great tribulation. All these horrible things are going to happen. But I'm going to show you that they already happened 2,000 years ago, and they were fulfilled, and they're not going to happen in the future. Let's go. Daniel chapter 2. Turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 31. Daniel, chapter 2, verse 31. Daniel is called to interpret a vision and tell the king what his dream was and the interpretation of it. None of the sorcerers or magicians or the occult people in Babylon could tell Nebuchadnezzar what he had dreamt, and none of them could interpret it because they didn't know what it was. But Daniel came and said, I have sought the Lord my God, the Lord of God of Israel, and he has told me what is going to happen and how to interpret it for you. 
Verse 31, You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. The image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Okay? So, verse 44. In the days of these kings, they're talking about the vision again, all the kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these other kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke the pieces in iron, broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. The gold head of the statue is the kingdom of Babylon. It lasted less than a hundred years. The next kingdom was the torso of silver. That was the Medo-Persian king, kingdom brought in by Cyrus. The following kingdom going down was the Greek, the kingdom of the Greeks brought in by Alexander the Great. Those lasted about 200 years. And then the final kingdom was the kingdom of the Roman Empire, and that lasted from 150 B.C. until about 500 A.D., much longer. And some people think it's actually been reinvented to have uh, continued to this day in the form of the deep state and the cabal and the people behind the scenes that are trying to control the world. But the stone cut out without hands, what is that? Jesus. It's Jesus. And he comes... And not only does he knock down and destroy the statue, he destroys it so there's nothing of it left. And then the mountain, the rock becomes a mountain that fills the entire earth. As I live, says the Lord, the earth shall be filled with the glory of God. God. Okay? Now go to chapter 7 of the book of Daniel. Just don't make up your mind yet. Wait till I... Do all of these. <laughs> Chapter Daniel 7, verse 27. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole of heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Now, does it say anywhere in these scriptures that there's going to come a time when the kingdom of God 
starts to appear on the earth when Jesus comes and says, repent, the kingdom is at hand. And then the believers are filled with the Holy Spirit and start doing things. And then all of a sudden, we have to turn it over to darkness and to the Antichrist, and he's going to take over and have a kingdom greater than the kingdom of God for a, for a time until Jesus comes and rescues everybody? No, it doesn't say that. It says this kingdom that destroyed all the other kingdoms is going to endure forever. And it's going to continue to grow until it fills the entire earth. Back in this scripture, verse Daniel 2.44, it says, God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. So it's not going to be turned over to the Antichrist or the one world order and one world government. That's not going to happen. All the things that the futuristic belief system has been clinging to and that's been preached by many, many, many people for the last 150 years is an absolute lie of the devil to keep the church from doing anything constructive and from reaching its true destiny. There's not going to be a pre-tribulation rapture. That is designed to get Christians to sit in church on their rapture rug and do nothing and not build the kingdom the way we were instructed to. Jesus said, go and make disciples, and I'll be with you even until the end of the age. He didn't say, go build church buildings, sit in them on your rapture rug, and don't do anything. But that's what the church has done for 150 years. Not everybody. It was only in the 1850s and 60s until 1906 that this pre-tribulation rapture idea became popular, and it was presented in the form of the Schofield Bible. And the Schofield Bible and all the research into this pre-tribulation rapture theory was actually paid for by the Illuminati and the Cabal. Millions of dollars were invested to pervert Christian learning institutions to teach this. Millions of dollars. It's been taught by Liberty University and Jerry Falwell. It's been taught by David Jeremiah. It's been taught by many others that some of you listen to and believe, but it's wrong and it's not going to happen that way. And it was designed to keep us from being effective to keep us down. Isaiah chapter 6, or Isaiah chapter 9, I should say. Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Okay, who is this talking about? Jesus. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. (laughs) Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Again, where does it say that this kingdom is going to end and be turned over to an Antichrist system for a season? It doesn't. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. 
It's only an interpretation, a false interpretation, placed on the church by evil people to keep the church from being effective and reaching its true destiny. And we can't believe this anymore. Mm -hmm. Just like the spies paid a huge consequence for not believing what God had told them, and only the ones who lined up with God's script, Joshua and Caleb, were rewarded, there's a reward for those who are going to line themselves up with God's narrative in this day. Amen. And, they, and the ones who, who continue to cling to this old belief system will not experience those rewards. And I'm talking about real rewards like spiritual gifts when the Lord pours out his spirit so that you can do great exploits. It's said in Daniel chapter 7 that the people, the saints of the Most High, will do great exploits. Thank you, Lord. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3. I'll I'll start in verse 1. But In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the trumpet. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Well, if the earth is going to be filled with the glory of the Lord, and its kingdom is never ending, and it was established when he came on the scene 2,000 years ago, and it's never going to end, it's never going to be turned over to other people, why would we believe that darkness is going to increase and the Antichrist is going to take over? I'm going to explain how those things were all fulfilled in the past in a few minutes. So just bear with me because there's a few more scriptures I want to show you. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 14. Habakkuk 2.14 For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So first we have Moses recording in Numbers 14, the earth is going to be filled with the glory of the Lord. Then we have Daniel recording in chapter 2 and chapter 7 about the kingdom that's never going to end and it's going to become the stone that breaks the other kingdoms will become a mountain that fills the entire earth. And then we saw in Isaiah that of his government there will be no end. And now we're seeing in Habakkuk that the glory of the Lord the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. So that's four different prophets in the Old Testament. Now I'm going to turn to King David, who wrote Psalms, and there's a psalm about this. It's called it's Psalm number 37. The whole psalm talks about this, but there's like 40 verses, and I'm only going to read verse 9 through 11 to start with. For evildoers shall be cut off, But those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. 
but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. This is what I believe is really coming in the very near future. The wicked are going to be exposed and judged and removed by the hand of God. Thank you, Lord. Jesus came and in his Sermon on the Mount said the meek shall inherit the earth. The same thing that David wrote in the Psalm 800 years before Christ, or for thousands of years before Christ. Verse 18 through 20 of Psalm 37, The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish into smoke. They will vanish away. In verse 34, wait on the Lord and keep his way, and, you sh- and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. Again, there's nowhere that it says that there's going to come a break in the kingdom of God progressing in the world for the darkness and the Antichrist system to take over the world. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. It only says these things. Is that why Christ always used to say with the people that follow, Behold, the kingdom of God is now at hand. Yes. And I'm going to go into other things that he said also. But I'm going to go back to Daniel for a moment. Chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Daniel 9, 24 through 27. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The streets shall be built again in the wall and even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. What's the citation? Where is that? Daniel chapter 9, 24 through 26. Came out to 483 years, and that's exactly when Jesus came. And he was cut off, not for himself, but for everyone. To be cut off in that biblical sense is to be killed. He came and he was killed right when Daniel predicted he would all those hundreds of years before it happened. Let's look at um, Matthew chapter 13. We'll go to the New Testament now. Matthew chapter 13, verse 33. Another parable, we talked about this last week. Another parable he spoke to them 
The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. The rock that destroyed the statue became a mountain that filled the whole earth, just like the leaven filled the entire um, dough mass. Mm -hmm. The kingdom is going to fill the earth. It's not going to be... There's no pause in the kingdom coming. There's no time that the things that people have talked about from Revelation and from Matthew 24 are still going to happen. They already happened. And I'll show you about that. Let's look at Matthew 24, verse 34. Matthew 24, verse 34. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. A generation is about 40 years. He died in 30 A.D. 40 years from 30 A.D. is 70 A.D. In 70 A.D., the Roman ruler Titus came and destroyed the temple, destroyed the city of Jerusalem. Not one stone was left standing on another, like he said. And 1.2 million Jews were killed. Blood flowed in the streets, just like the vision describes. It already happened in 70 A.D. He said... Pray that you're not pregnant or nursing when the day comes or that and when you're in the field. you know. And what happened is the people who remembered his words when they saw the Roman army approaching, they ran and saved themselves. Oh. It was only the people who didn't believe and didn't remember what Jesus had said that were killed. It happened in 70 A.D. It was already fulfilled. Another thing that Daniel spoke about was the abomination of desolation that would occur in the temple in Jerusalem. Well, that was fulfilled during the time of the Maccabees in the, in the years between Malachi and Matthew. It's not in the Bible, but the book of Maccabees is in the Catholic Bible. But how many know the story of Hanukkah? So here's what happened. A vicious ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes of the Assyrians came and defeated Jerusalem. And he went into the temple, put out the eternal lamp, killed swine, defecated on the floor, set up a statue of himself, insisted that everybody bow down and pray to him. Mm -hmm. Just like it says in the book of Revelation, the Antichrist spirit would do. But the Antichrist spirit isn't a person... It's a spirit that comes into the world whenever the people of God and believers are not fulfilling their destiny. There's a, there's a war in the spirit between those who believe and those in the world. As long as believers are fulfilling their destiny and proclaiming the kingdom, the Antichrist's spirit is held at bay. When John 
wrote about the Antichrist spirit, which is already in the world in John 2, John 2 and John 3. He was talking about Gnosticism. Gnosticism was a philosophy by the, mostly by the Greeks that said that everything spiritual is good and everything physical is bad or, or fleshly is bad. And so they refused to say that Jesus came in the flesh. That's why John said, test the spirits with this question. Will you admit that Jesus came in the flesh? Mm-hmm. And everyone who won't admit that is the, has the Antichrist spirit. Yep. Mm-hmm. Other, other spirit. That's only a test for Gnostic spirits. Other spirits need to be tested by saying that Jesus is the Son of God. He died for the sins of the people and he was raised from the dead on the third yep. day. Do you believe that? If they, don't, if they won't admit to that, then they're of a different kind of Antichrist spirit, not Gnosticism. Mm-hmm. So those are the two tests of spirits for believers if they're if you encounter something and you, you just have to ask that one question. Do you believe that Jesus came in the flesh, or do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? He died for the sins of the world, he was raised from the dead on the third day, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. The people who don't believe that are not anybody you should listen to. Praise God. So anyway, a sect, a tribe of Jews called the Maccabees outnumbered over a hundred to one, found a way to defeat the Assyrian army, even though some of the Assyrians came in riding on elephants. Mm. And one of Judah Maccabees' brothers went under the elephant and stabbed him through his soft underbelly up, upward with a spear, sacrificing his own life to take out the elephant so that the rest of the tribe could win the, win the battle. And they cleansed the temple and relit the eternal light and got all the junk out of there. And that's why Hanukkah is known as the Festival of Dedication. And they had enough oil to burn for one night, It takes eight days to cure new oil for those lamps. But that one night's worth of oil lasted eight days miraculously, and that's why we celebrate Hanukkah for eight days, to commemorate this miracle. So the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel also has already happened in the past. It happened 150 to 200 years before Christ. It happened at the time of the Maccabees, and the Antichrist spirit at that time was named Antiochus Epiphanes. You can look it up. Another thing that's already happened that we have no reason to be waiting for. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus saying anything about, I'm going to be with you for a while, but then... But then I'm gonna, we're going to have to drop our weapons, turn over the world to the Antichrist and one world order before I come and rescue everybody? No. 
That's not what he says. He said this generation will by no means pass till all these things are fulfilled. Now, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus went through a long rant about woe to the scribes and the Pharisees. Whatever they tell you to observe, they don't do it themselves. They're trying to lay a heavy burden of works on people's shoulders according to the law, but there's no grace in them. But what really Ezekiel was given a vision in the rooms of the temple where they were doing child sacrifices and horrible satanic things. And the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the priests of that day, the whole system was totally corrupt. He called them a brood of vipers. He called them all these names because he saw that they were totally corrupt. The reason the temple had to be destroyed and they all had to be wiped out was because there was no salvation for them. There was no way they could be redeemed. They had to be judged just as all the gods of the Egyptians had to be judged at the time of Pharaoh. Yes, many innocent people had to die to bring those judgments. Just like innocent people are dying now, but the judgments are coming, but only to the wicked. Mm. The judgments of God are coming for the wicked. He's going to differentiate between those who are his and those who are not. Catherine, are you just agreeing with me? Okay. All right. Um, With regard to these three and a half years of horrible tribulation, how many have heard of the evil Roman emperor Nero? Okay. In 64 AD, Nero wanted to destroy one-third of Rome so that he could build palaces and residences and all the things for his own honor and glory. Some people believe he actually started or paid to have started the great fire that destroyed a third of the city of Rome. And there's all these stories about Nero burning or fiddling while Rome burned, blah, blah, blah. But the truth is that he needed a scapegoat when it didn't look good for him after the fact. So he decided, I'm going to blame it on the Christians. So for three and a half years, 42 months, Christians were fed to lions with animal skin sewed on them so the lions would eat them. They were killed by gladiators in the Colosseum, and hundreds were crucified daily in Rome. That is the great tribulation of three and a half years. Nero was known as the beast. You know how people today can't always use the exact term because they'll be censored if they do. Like people on TV, they can't say that the vaccinations are bad. They have to say the jab. Well, the the code name for Nero at that time was the beast. If they wrote letters to each other describing what was going on, they said the beast so that if anybody caught them with those letters, they wouldn't think they were criticizing or rising against Nero. He also had a number associated with him, 666. 
That was the number of the beast, and it was Nero. Josephus wrote about it. Other historians wrote about it. They all understood that this is what was going on and that that was fulfilled. The three-and-a-half-year Great Tribulation, where all these people were killed, was fulfilled in 68 A.D. He lived for three-and-a-half years, and then he killed himself. And then in 70 A.D., the temple was destroyed and all the other stuff happened. So between 64 to 68 A.D. and 70 A.D., all the bad stuff had already happened, it had already been fulfilled, and historians and everyone alive at the time knew that. It was only recently, in the last couple hundred years, that people didn't understand that and were taught this other stuff that became so popular and so damaging. What about this thing in Revelation? And what about that thing in Revelation, people ask? Just like the spies said, what about the descendants of Anak? And what about the Jebusites and the Canaanites and the, all the, the Perizzites and all these things? But God, but Moses and or Joshua and Caleb said, if God is with us, if he delights in us, there'll be bread for us. Surely we can defeat them. Yeah. And if we come in agreement with God's narrative about what's really coming in the world and reject this negative earthly narrative of darkness, we will be like Joshua and Caleb. If we continue to cling to that other narrative, we'll be like the ten spies who had severe consequences for their unbelief and their doubt. Mm. Doubt and unbelief kills your Mm. destiny. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just like it wouldn't allow people to enter God's rest. It says in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. Okay, now let's turn to Revelation, that very book, chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. He didn't say things that are going to take place in 2,000 years. He said things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. Verse 3, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near, he said. This was written sometime between 50 and 70 A.D. And it happened right after it was written, practically. The time is near. These things are going to happen shortly, it says. It just fits with all the other scriptures I've been reading. Now let's go to chapter 5 of Revelation. Verses 8 and 9. And 10. Now, when he, meaning Jesus, the Lamb of God, had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why would they say that? 
because you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. We have been made kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth as part of his kingdom. When he's called the king of kings, yes, he's the king of rulers and presidents and earthly kings, but it's really talking about the kings that we that are represented by the saints who are going to rule and reign on earth with him. And it's not for some future thousand-year reign. It's for now, until he comes again. Jesus is not coming to rescue a defeated church cowering in their building with their rapture rug. He's coming at the end of the age for a glorious, victorious church who will be his bride. That's what he's coming for. Thank you, Lord. And all the scriptures that describe the rapture and the second coming of Christ have the same exact elements in them. Jesus coming on the clouds with a trumpet blast heard all over the world. It's in 1 Thessalonians 4, it's in 1 Corinthians 15, and it's in Matthew 24. There's not going to be two times that that happens. There's going to be one time that it happens, and it's going to be at the end of the age. And what he's coming for is a victorious, spotless bride church. He's not coming to rescue a defeated church. That It's like saying we're armed and ready with all the armor of God. We've got all these weapons of our warfare, but now we're supposed to just lay them down and turn the earth over to the one world order and the Antichrist spirit. Well, what about the one world order? I submit to you we're coming out of it right now. Yes. 200 plus countries on earth all wore masks. All had to keep six feet apart to go into a store or a theater or, a, or, a, or anywhere. And it wasn't by accident. Every place we went, there was six, six, six. It was the Antichrist spirit showing itself blatantly to the world because they thought they have won. There's al- they've already controlled all the seven mountains of influence in our time. They've already controlled all seven of them. So has the mark of the beast already happened? The um, Taking the mark of the beast and, and forfeiting heaven, is that already happened? I think in the way it has because of vaccination passports and all these things that have been threatened. And um, But I think that the Lord is going to, like I said, differentiate between those who are his and those who are in the world. The seven mountains of influence are government, the economy, the media, education, arts and entertainment, family, and religious freedom and freedom of speech. Every one of them has been under the control of the Luciferian spirit of the Antichrist that's in the world right now. And we are called to take back all those mountains of influence according to the power of the Holy Spirit when he pours out his glory 
and uh, the evil people are judged and taken out. And we are going to replace them on all those seven mountains. We're going to overtake the government with righteous people. We're going to overtake the economy with righteous decision-making that's going to be for the benefit of everyone. And the wealth of the wicked is going to be redistributed to the righteous. It says that in the Bible several times. The media people are going to admit that they were blackmailed and they were wrong. The uh, education system is going to be overhauled to teach the truth the way it did in the 50s and and 40s when, when some of us were born. Yes. Everything's going to change for good. Thank you. What's coming is good, 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 and more good, not dark, 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 and worse dark. And we've had it wrong all this time. The Lord is bringing us out of this one world order system that's been in existence the last three or four years. It's already happened. And he's bringing us out of it now. The false prophet, you want to know who the false prophet is? Yannick Noah Harari. You want to know the kingpin of the One World Order? Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum and the World Health Organization, which is run by Communist China. It's already happened, but they didn't win because God wouldn't let them win. And there were enough believers on earth filled with the Holy Spirit to pray against them and keep them from happening. But if we hadn't had a critical number of believers praying against what was coming, it could have happened. And so when it talks about the one who is restraining, it's the Holy Spirit and believers that's restraining the coming of one of the one world government to its fullness. But it came. It always tries to come. It tried to come in the Nazi regime during the Second World War, and they were defeated by righteous people from the Allies. It tried to come, as I talked about, through the Amalekites, the uh, Haman and the Persians at the time of the uh, Esther, the book of Esther, it tried to come by, through the Egyptians and the Philistines when they all wanted to kill all the Jews. And it's tried to come through Saddam Hussein, Joseph Stalin, and other people, but they were never able to get as far as they've gotten now. And the reason they got this far is because people in churches passively allowed it to happen. And God is saying through his prophets and teachers and people who are willing to come alongside his narrative right now, like I'm doing today, we have enough people to combat this and turn everything around, and we will. Get on board. Get on board with God's narrative, not the world's narrative. So is is, uh, Putin concerned as that one world order? No. The whole war in Ukraine is to protect their evil things that that they were doing there and to expose him because he was a sovereign ruler who opposed one world order, just like they had to take out Trump and Netanyahu, who were for national sovereignty and were not going to get on board with one world order. They've succeeded in taking out Netanyahu. Now he's back. They succeeded in taking out Trump. I believe he's going to be coming back also. 
And I don't believe they will succeed in taking out Putin. But if they do, it won't be because Ukraine wins the war. It'll be because he dies and is replaced by a righteous ruler in his place, which people have prophesied. So these things are going to happen whether you believe them or not. The things that the world has been teaching church people for the last 150 years are not going to happen whether you believe them or not. So I'm urging you, (laughs) don't take my word for it. Just go back and read those scriptures for yourself. I could have put in 25 scriptures. I only put in 10. There's probably 100 scriptures that all say the same thing, and there's no scripture that says anything else. Because the things that people are so afraid of that must happen in the future, they already happened. They already happened. Thank you, Jesus. What was the role of the uh, not the Antichrist spirit? What was the thing with the Roman church in all of this? Well, when the Roman church split from the Jewish roots of Christianity and moved churches into big buildings and made it so the lay people couldn't read the scripture for themselves, only the priests, the the consequence was the entire world was plunged into the dark ages for 1,500 years. (laughs) That's a pretty terrible consequence. Yeah. And it took a few courageous people who were willing to find the truth for themselves and preach about it, even if they were burned at the stake, to change the world's thinking about that. And it happened in the 14, 15, and 1600s. So, for the children of God who embrace his narrative now, There's a kingdom seal of advancement and great rewards coming. The right narrative in your belief system can override or ignore all other narratives. The ten spies were all leaders and seers for their congregations, but they they came with a bad report. Only two came with a good report. Look what happened. They all died in the wilderness, and for 40 years, all of their descendants had to suffer in the wilderness again until the people born free were able to go in and take the promised land just like they should have in the beginning. I've heard different things, and that's why I want your teaching on it. When Joshua, Joshua and Caleb ran or tore their clothes, what is the significance of that? I believe that the true kingdom narrative is total victory on earth for the sons and daughters of the king. There will be battles, but we must resist and we will win. Ruling authority and power, and the whole world is going to become like an upper room where 120 people had the power poured out. I can't hear you. Why did I'm they asking about the tearing of their clothes. Why did they do that? Why did they tear their Joshua clothes? Joshua and Caleb? The significance of that. It, well, it's, 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 like a, it's like for mourning. Yeah. 
in in Joel, it, it, in Joel, it said, "Rend your garments. Don't rend your garments before me. Rend your hearts." And uh, it was an Old Testament way of showing that you're in mourning for what you're hearing. You can't even believe how off these people are, and you can see the consequence of their negative report, and that's not what you wanted for your people. Yeah, they were in mourning for the other eight. For the other ten. Yeah. Ten, I mean. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So. Thank you. I mean, I just wanted a deeper explanation. I had an idea, but I just wanted a deeper explanation from one who knew. Okay, thank you. charged to be uh, Caleb, right? Yes. And Joshua. Yes. All the... Um, Believe. There, there's been many technologies that could have made everyone's life on earth, and I mean everyone, better. Technologies in the field of agriculture, technologies in the field of energy, technologies in the field of medicine, technologies in the field of communication, technologies in the field of economy and how money is handled. And those technologies will be released when the evil, when the evil people are taken out of power. And the, the agricultural technologies can make even lands in Africa experiencing horrible famine where millions of people are dying will be able to grow enough food for all their people and no one will be in famine anymore. Hallelujah. Everything is going to get better and better, and people can actually become like walking med beds filled with the Holy Spirit. A med bed is a bed that, through changing the frequencies in your body, can cause your body to heal itself. Mm. <laughs> and um, some people even teach that when Adam and Eve ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it changed their bodily frequency so that now when they planted things, thorns and thistles and, th and other things came up like the wheat and the tares. Mm. Wow. A good example of that today is our barometer. Our barometer affects our body with its frequency. Yes. It's, 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 it's your bodily frequency. And uh, so anyway... Um, that's all I have today. I'm gonna to go. I'm gonna go into. I've got. I, well, there is one other scripture. Let me read one other scripture. Hosea chapter six. Turn to Hosea chapter six. I think you've heard me say about the third day church, and you know, a year in the Lord is like a day. A thousand years is like a day. Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. Yeah. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, which is what we're living in now, to be the third day church, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight, or that we may dwell in his presence, it says in the ESV. He's not raising us up by rapturing us out of the world, he's raising us up that we may dwell in his presence and 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 live in his sight and Amen. do the things that we're called to do. Amen. Amen. Thank you all very much.
know, this teaching that you brought today, what it makes you go all the way to the back of the garden and how the devil flipped things so we would see it from a world perspective. I think about it like with healing. You know, so many times we're, like in the healing class, we're, you know, we've got this new perspective. We're the healed fighting diseases, but what really people mostly do is we feel like we're sick trying to fight for healing. Just they, it's the narrative that's split ever so slightly, but to change the whole direction. Yeah. And it's the same thing with just like what you're saying, I, you know, it just comes so clear. The way it's been flipped is to keep us in fear. Right. And to keep us down, which is not correct. Who God is at all. Right? And in Genesis one twenty six. It says that he, we, a man, was given dominion over the birds, the fish, the trees, the cattle, and all the creepy things that creep on the earth. All the creepy things that creep, and that includes demonic spirits. They're the creepy things that creep. Is what you are talking about now, is that what you're considering, like, we're entering into a millennium age now? No, we're entering into a kingdom age. A king, his kingdom is for now on earth. The millennium will come after the second coming of Christ, and it could be a 100 years from now. I don't know when that's going to happen. But right now, the sons and daughters of God are going to rise up and establish his kingdom on earth. It says in Romans 8 that creation groans for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God to come into their fullness and start restoring the earth to its original possession. And I believe the whole earth is going to become like the Garden of Eden. There's something about the year 6000 in the Jewish calendar when this is supposed to happen. If you want to think about that, you can. I'm not opposed to that, but there's been the it's five thousand seven eighty two or three right now, fifty seven eighty something, yeah. And um, so that would mean that there won't be six thousand years on the Hebrew calendar for another two hundred and fifteen years, two hundred and sixteen years. So. If you want to think that way, that's fine. I'm not opposed to believing that. I can't confirm it. I can only say I have no problem with it. The, the righteous who have died, they are sitting with Christ. Uh, the righteous who have died, uh, like during the Second World War, the righteous who have, They're in heaven. Yeah, they're in heaven with Jesus and uh, there's scripture about that too, isn't there? About the kings uh, are ruling with Jesus, or is that uh, something else? The scriptures that say we're going to rule with Jesus are talking about us who are alive on earth. Though they they're already there, they're going to return for the millennium. And you know, it's like the king, the parable of the talents we talked about last week. Those who have had their talents invested and bore fruit for the kingdom will receive rewards and will be given rulership over cities and whatever in the millennium. And those that and the one who hid his talent, it was everything he had was taken from him. We need to bear fruit. We need we're judged on what we do with what we're given, 
not what we're given. But it's for now. The millennium will be a new time when the people from heaven and the people who are still alive will all rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. For a thousand years. Jane? So it's, it's a good thing to go before the Lord and confess our shortcoming. It is a good thing to ask him for forgiveness, but then ask him to raise us up and what should we do? Just because we're in our 60s, 70s, 80s doesn't mean he doesn't have something for us. We have a bath to do. We just need to humble ourselves as happens in every revival. That's how they begin. Right. Humility is one of the keys. And um, Johnny Enlow, who shared a lot of this teaching with us, is... Um, he said that the Lord showed him that he, the humility is the willingness to be yourself. Mm. Not ascribe to be anyone else or to have anyone else's anointing or anyone else's gifts, but just to be you. And humility is also confidence without cockiness. So the meek will inherit the earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, nothing is going to stop them from inheriting it. Not an antichrist spirit, not one world order, nothing. Praise God. Amen. Thank you all very much. God